Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. I'm Ashley Webster. I'm Kennedy. I'm Jason Chaffetz, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Thursday, January 4th, 2023. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. Was it race or plagiarism or anti-Semitism? The resignation of Harvard's president may have captured the cultural conversation, but one thing is certain, the fallout has ended up being partisan. I promise you that the problems higher ed is having, the reputational problems, the credibility uh, and confidence problems go very far beyond a few, uh, you know, so-called uh, conservative activists. I'm Dave Anthony. He's Republican red in a deep blue state. But Steve Garvey wore Dodger blue. And the ex-baseball star hopes that makes him a hit with voters in California, where he's running for Senate. I'm pretty close to the center in terms of being a moderate because, you know, I always say when I took the field, I didn't take it for Democrats or Republicans or independents, libertarians. I took the field for all the fans, and now I'm running for all the people. And I'm Joe Concha. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. black female president of Harvard resigned after a brief six months at the helm, reactions seemed to fall along party lines. It was New York Republican Congresswoman Elise Stefanik who asked Claudine Gay and two other university presidents at a congressional hearing in early December if calling for the genocide of Jews violated their bullying and harassment policies. It can be, depending on the context. But it wasn't until allegations of plagiarism published by Christopher Rufo and the Washington Free Beacon that Claudine Gay resigned. Stefanik told Fox's Sean Hannity that the congressional hearing may have opened the door to this. It was very clear with this intense scrutiny that Claudine Gay was a plagiarist president, that she had plagiarized nearly 50 excerpts in her work, which is a very limited body of academic work when compared to other Harvard University presidents. And I say this as a Harvard graduate. Uh, I graduated from there from undergrad with honors. And I will tell you, students, if you plagiarized, you're expelled. But multiple people came to Gay's defense. MSNBC host Simone Sanders said on Meet the Press Sunday, what was called plagiarism to others were loose citations. I do think this is a race issue just as much as it is an issue about um, anti-Semitism and Islamophobia. I don't disagree. She said Gay was targeted. Late night weighed in. Comedian Kat Timpf asked on Gutfeld's show on Fox News. People get so wrapped up in the, well, this, this, she plagiarized. She should have been fired. Oh, she shouldn't have. And the race, this, that. We're like, what do you think you did then? Yeah. What is plagiarism and how is what you did different? She, no one will ever ask her that. But an associate press article on the whole thing was entitled, Harvard President's Resignation Highlights New Conservative Weapon Against Colleges. Plagiarism. Jacob Miller, a Harvard student and chair of the Crimson's editorial board, told Fox's America Reports. It's not like, you know, these uh, uh, people who have uncovered these allegations forced anyone to plagiarize. Um, they just discovered sloppy citation. Um, and it's the, the job of the search committee that uh, decides upon the Harvard president to vet the president's academic work. Um, and yeah. so I don't I don't think this is a weapon that's being used. I think it's a legitimate concern. Of course, reaction falling along certain ideological lines was unsurprising to many. I think that both of the camps into which we 
are so sadly divided as a country, went right to their corners and said the things you would expect them to say. Mitch Daniels is the former president of Purdue University, former governor of Indiana, and fellow at the Liberty Fund. The detractors uh, believe this was a just uh, and proper decision, uh, and her defenders uh, obviously don't see it that way, but um, none of these folks are the kind who are in the who are accustomed to uh, changing their minds about things. So it was, I think, for, pretty foreseeable. You know, some folks are defending Claudine Gay. You know, Al Sharpton said she cracked a glass ceiling as a black woman. Mm-hmm. Simone Sanders said the other college professors at that congressional hearing gave terrible answers about calling for the genocide of Jews and what that means. But Sanders said she was still targeted because she was black. And Gay herself wrote um, in her resignation letter that it's been distressing to be subjected to threats fueled by racial animus. What do you make of that aspect of the reaction? Well, any threats are inexcusable. And let's accept her and take her word for it that, that, that she got them. She shouldn't have. That's uh, they, they come from both directions these days. And uh, I hope one day we'll grow out of that as a country. But, you know, uh, with regard to the decision, it's been interesting to me that people haven't looked a level below anti-Semitism and the inability to identify it, a level below plagiarism. This woman had a, I'm going to say, uniquely weak academic background, 11 papers. It is quite common uh, for uh, uh, serious scholars to have published in three digits uh, a number of scholarly uh, publications, and particularly uh, those who rise to positions like the president of Harvard. So one question is, you know, how'd she get this job in the first place? Uh, even if people overlooked the plagiarism, how was that record? Did that record qualify her? And so hmm. um, let's just say that uh, evidence that she was disfavored by her race is uh, not not evident. And in fact, there's evidence to the contrary. Is that what's needed? Though? Like you were a university president, obviously, and that's one of the reasons we're talking to you. Did you have multiple papers as a scholar or did you come in like you can be a president of a university for various reasons, depending on what that university's aim is. And, and Harvard's might be scholarship and Purdue's or different universities might be something else. Maybe somebody needs a good manager. You don't necessarily have to have a, a body of scholarly work, do you? It's a very fair point. It's been made a lot of places, and I'm hardly the only example of someone who came to a job like that from a different direction. But this woman's entire career was mm. uh, predicated on uh, on academic work. You know, even her dissertation, the one that qualified her to be um, a lowly assistant professor, was found to have had problems of plagiarism. And so mm. um, when, when that's been your whole credential and calling card, you would hope uh, anywhere, let alone at Harvard, to have a stronger case than was there. So these these other things brought the question of her fitness to the fore. But you know, to me, there were issues even before uh, someone began uh, checking the quality of her work or invited her to a hearing. Yeah, let me ask you because multiple people, including those she's accused of plagiarizing, say that what she did was not plagiarism. After the first allegations came out, Harvard said these were instances, I think you know this, of quote-unquote duplicative language. Um, But then some more examples came out. And through it all, most brushed it off and said that they did not consider this plagiarism. The Crimson has a a whole article citing numerous people who say, oh, those were my words and and I don't consider this plagiarism. Have you read any of these examples and would you consider them academically plagiarism? I've read them all, and yes, I consider them plagiarism. I think uh, almost anyone else uh, who was confronted with this would have would have been penalized at least as severely. 
Um, and I tend to associate with uh, many Harvard students who said if I did it, they'd throw me out. Hmm. Do you think if allegations of plagiarism hadn't started coming in, that Claudine Gay would still have a job even after the congressional testimony during which she said calling for the genocide of Jews, whether or not that constitutes bullying or harassment, is context dependent? If no allegations of plagiarism came in after that congressional hearing, would Claudine Gay still have a job, but Liz McGill of Penn wouldn't? Yes. The Harvard Corporation had stood behind her at that point and made their position clear. And you know, Harvard University can do anything it wants. It's bulletproof. It's sitting on $50 billion. And, hmm. um, and so what has bothered me all along about this event, Jessica, is that what Harvard does can dis and these other schools can be imputed to the rest of higher ed it can, and it can uh, spill over mm. and i think it has on schools that would have different standards uh, who uh, certainly understand uh, when certain uh, actions and statements are inexcusable and would act on them uh, so I, I worry at a time when we have suffered a big drop in confidence in higher ed, fewer young people choosing to go to college. Many of them, I think, are making a mistake. It's just not a good time uh, to have the sector tainted and discolored in this way by some of its most visible. Uh, they're, not, they're not representative, but they are the most visible um, of our institutions. And I wonder if everything is being tainted by politics, because, you know, the AP wrote a piece initially on the fallout here entitled, Harvard president's resignation highlights new conservative weapon against colleges, plagiarism. Now, it was Chris Rufo's work and the Washington Free Beacon publishing these allegations that brought it to light right against Claudine Gay. And the AP did change the headline to say plagiarism allegations downed Gay and conservative attack fanned the outrage. But it really captured a moment, right, that this feels very partisan. If you're conservative, Claudine Gay plagiarized. And if you're liberal, she didn't. Well, I think that is an accurate statement, but I think that to um, uh, dismiss all this as somehow a, uh, a partisan uh, activity willfully distorts the situation. Mm. I mean, people of all kinds were shocked by the hearing and uh, and by the follow-up. You know, the people who have been the most active and uh, and I think effective in calling for free speech of the kind that these universities have too often trampled on, uh, in other contexts, those people are not uh, right wingers. The people at uh, uh, Fire, for instance, the Watchdog Group, are avowedly nonpartisan. So, right. no, I mean that's uh, I think a dodge, an attempt to uh, misrepresent really how broad the I'm going to say revulsion was in in the country for what they saw. Uh, I promise you that the problems higher ed is having, the reputational problems, the credibility. Uh, and confidence problems go very far beyond a few, uh, you know, so-called uh, conservative activists. Mm -hmm. Just a couple more for you. You know, to your point about um, Harvard having 50 billion, Jesse Waters jokingly called Harvard a hedge fund that teaches a few classes. But if you had to slice up a pie, a percent value to, to you know, reasons why Claudine Gay stepped down, how much do you attribute it to money from donors and the threat of that money being withdrawn? I doubt it had much to do with it. Again, if they never collected another dollar, they could stay there forever. <laughs> I think the fear of uh, the, the very real damage that their reputation has taken, um, and, and deservedly so, I have to say. And here I'm talking not just about Dr. Gay, but about those who uh, on the board who 
seemed very they seemed as tone deaf as the presidents did at the hearing in uh, dismissing the concern that uh, so many people were expressing. So I think it was uh, much more a matter of uh, fear of reputational damage than it was financial. Finally, uh, Bill Ackman, the hedge fund guy who led the part of this effort to get these presidents who testified at the congressional hearing fired, he asked on X if MIT's president, Sally Kornbluth, would be the final to fall. Well, a day after Gay resigned, MIT released a new plan to address anti-Semitism, and it included a new vice president for equity and inclusion. And Ackman, as you probably already know, says DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion on college campuses, have actually increased anti-Semitism. And he writes, it, it created an oppressor versus oppressed narrative where whites, Asians, and Jews are considered the oppressors. Is doubling down on DEI in the case of MIT smart? Or if equity is a goal, does it feed into the hatred of those groups? Well, Mr. Ackman's on very, very firm ground. Anyone with eyes to see ought to know that the real source of Enforced conformity on college campuses these days comes from that direction. Uh, by the way, I'd point out he's nobody's idea of some kind of conservative uh, uh, activist. He's hmm. just a sincerely concerned citizen and alum. He's on firm ground here. Um, no, uh, what one wishes these schools would do is enunciate very clear guidelines to avoid this happening again. You know, uh, much of what happened on some of these campuses cross the line into conduct, the, the physical threats mm -hmm. surrounding and people being barricaded in libraries, people pounding on the doors. The, the whole sector would benefit from a few expulsions and suspensions that make it plain that speech is protected, but uh, violent conduct or the threat of it is not. Physical harassment is not. And um, uh, if, if they had given answers like that, at the uh, hearing, we wouldn't be in this position. And quite honestly, back to your very insightful question, I, I'm not sure anyone would have looked up uh, Dr. Gay's dissertations and that handful of papers that she had produced as a academic. Mitch Daniels, former president of Purdue University, former Indiana governor and fellow at the Liberty Fund. Thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate being invited. chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy, and me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. This is Joe Concha with your Fox News commentary coming up. It's not just the White House in play in 2024. There are also races key for who controls Congress. In California, a Senate seat is up for grabs. The one the late Dianne Feinstein held until her death in September. The front runner in the polls is a Democrat, Congressman Adam Schiff, who is a lightning rod for Republican criticism leading House investigations into President Trump. After witnessing so much we never would have imagined taking place in this country, it has so many Americans asking, are we going to be okay? At his campaign kickoff last year, Schiff told supporters, I am here to tell you that we will get through this, that we are a deeply resilient country. Two other House Democrats are also on a crowded March 5th Senate primary ballot in California, Congresswoman Katie Porter and Barbara Lee. But only the top two vote-getters will face off in November, regardless of party. 
And there is a rookie Republican also running, Steve Garvey, taking a swing at politics for the first time. You know, I first came to California September 1st of 1969. Uh, The Dodgers called me up and I put that Dodger uniform on for the first time and my, uh, my dream came true. Garvey was a star for the Los Angeles Dodgers, winning an MVP and a World Series. He also played for the San Diego Padres. I had played on great teams with great players and great managers. Uh, but more importantly, I learned how to build teams. And uh, and then in my late 70s, in the late 70s, um, I started to uh, to get a voice in the community. People knew pretty much who Steve Garvey was and is and, um, you know, how how commonsensical I am and, and somebody who uh, believes in giving back. So I started working with charities and foundations in the community. And then after I retired, I uh, started building businesses with uh, Garvey Media Group. Um, and always been in and around uh, politics, uh, going back to uh, the congressional baseball game every year and coaching there. And I woke up one morning and turned the TV on and, and saw the the terrible discourse between our leaders in, in Washington, a dysfunctional Washington with career politicians who, who I didn't feel were representing me or my fellow Californians or Americans. They're more concerned about the business of politics and not about the policies that were uh, going to improve the quality of life. And uh, a little less than three months ago, I decided to run. And in a short amount of time, we've we've gained in the polls. We've got great momentum. Uh, we're in second place at about 19%. And the people are starting to stand up. We've walked the state of uh, of California. We've talked to individuals, uh, to families, to small businesses, to big businesses, and listened to what their frustrations are. You know, and, and Wall Street and Main Street are, uh, are, are 180. Uh, what you see on Wall Street, and we've had a, a very good market, is not what the people uh, feel that are getting up in the morning and, and putting breakfast on the table and going to the gas station and going to work and then trying to find a way to to get their kids into a good school. So uh, we're off and running, a great momentum. Um, so is inflation been, uh, in the economy your biggest issue as you try to win a Senate seat? Well, there are three things, the economy, uh, crime in the streets, um, the border is, uh, is, and we're right here on the border, so we're on the front lines every day. Uh, and um, education, you know, these things are so very, very important uh, about the quality of life. And then we have the homeless issue, which 35% or almost 40% of the homeless uh, in America are here in California. Yeah, it's been a big issue in San Francisco, right? Right, Steve, in San Francisco, I know in Los Angeles as well. But it's yeah, not Sacramento. something that anyone has seemed to be able to, to, to get a handle on. Why is that? Well, because it is a challenge. It's an issue that deals with a lot of compassion. Um, and our elected leaders don't really want to deal with it. So they throw money at it. And they start off by saying, well, we're finding shelter. Well, if you look at the two main issues that affect homelessness, it's drugs and mental health. And oh yes, we want to we want a place for for the homeless to to be able to go to and be warm and be fed and so forth. But we need to put together a program that that takes the homeless off the streets that um, that starts to integrate them back into society, both physically, mentally, and spiritually, uh, so that they can be productive again. You know, it's it's about productivity in our lives. And when we feel that nobody cares about us. Uh, feels like we, when we can't contribute to the world around us, that's when we start to spiral. So uh, homelessness, the border, um, setting all-time records every day. We did a uh, a tour the other day with uh, 
Congressman Isa for about four hours on the border in San Diego, Ote Mesa to the ocean. And uh, the great U.S. border men and women and ICE are doing a fabulous job, but they're just overwhelmed. Yeah. I mean, we had that record number that crossed in December. I know there's a delegation of of dozens of House Republicans in Eagle Pass, Texas, visiting the border uh, on Wednesday. They they did that. So what would you want done? If you're a senator, what would you vote for? Well, I would vote to uh, secure the border and then put in place a pathway for immigrants to come to this country. We we always forget there are millions of immigrants who have gone through a process of uh, contacting the authorities in their country and have signed all the papers and are sitting waiting to come to this country legally. And we're letting in hundreds of thousands of people illegally. You are a Republican running for the Senate in California. There has not been an elected statewide Republican I think what, since Arnold Schwarzenegger is a governor, and that's almost 20 years ago. It's not an easy thing to run from the right in California. How do you overcome what some of your uh, prior Republicans running were not able to do? Well, you know, I'm pretty close to the center in terms of being a moderate because, you know, I always say when I took the field, I didn't take it for Democrats or Republicans or independents, libertarians. I took the field for all the fans, and now I'm running for all the people. And people know me over these 50 years. They know I care about each and every one of them. So, you know, Steve Garvey campaign is really focusing on the quality of life for all the people. And I dare say my opponents can't say that they're running for all the people. Um, My opposition, when they vote in in Congress, they're voting 96, 97 percent down party line. And um, and I guarantee you that will be the percentage that I vote, because I'll look at a policy, I'll look at a bill and I'll determine whether it's good for all the people and I'll vote my conscience. What about conservative Republicans in California who hear that and say, well, wait a minute, we don't want a guy who's going to vote Democrat half the time. (laughs) Well, not half the time. (laughs) Or or Uh, whatever percentage you want. They know who I am, and people every day come up to me and say, Garf, you know, I remember this day or that day, or or, or even thank you for running. You know, uh, we're proud of you for running because California hasn't had that other voice. There's only been one voice. Uh, it's been extremely left, and people feel they've been suppressed. So they've been looking for somebody. Uh, they found him. I said, uh, I'd love for you to be the wind beneath my wings. Uh, And I remember the days when California was the heartbeat of America, and it's just a murmur now. But it can can be the heartbeat again. Have you had Republicans in this campaign ask you who you're supporting in the race for president? I know, of course, the former president, Donald Trump, is leading in a lot of the polls or almost all the polls. Have you have you sided with any of them? I have it because. If you think about it, this arguably is the toughest seat in America for somebody like myself or mine. And I'm not a career politician. I'm going to only uh, have one term when I'm elected next next January. But those six years will see me going to up to bat, so to speak, every day uh, for the Californians that I, I live with and, and, I, and I've been a part of in the state and for Americans. And um, my opponents can't say that. So that pathway that I talked about earlier in our conversation, we found that pathway. People are standing up. We're building momentum. I think our opposition is uh, is very, very concerned. And um, by the time March 5th comes, you know, we, we want to win March 5th and then go on to November and, and be the next 
elected U.S. senator from California. Yeah, you talk about jungle primary. So you're you're vying for one of two spots, the two spots on the ballot. Now, it isn't like you said, it's not a Republican versus a Democrat. There's a chance that two Democrats and there are three members of Congress from the left who are running also against you. I mean, you have to get ahead of two of them. Probably not easy. No, it's not. Um because I haven't had 25 years or 15 years or 12 years of, of being a career politician and and messaging. But uh, what comes with that is is a fresh new voice uh, with fresh ideas uh, that is not beholden to um, any entity, so to speak, um, who will, again, be every day going to bat for all the people of California and subsequently all the people of this country. Now, you said you would only have one term, but why only one term? Why would you limit yourself now? Well, I'll be uh, I'll be 81. Um, I'm vibrant. I'm healthy. Uh, <laughs> uh, Isn't that President Biden's there, right? You're right there. Resident. But, you're, but that's uh, what President uh, Biden is running for re-election at that age, right? That's that's right. But, you know, I, I'm a... Uh, uh, meritocracy type of guy you know i i would want those six years at the end when people say what kind of a uh, of a senator was he that i that i was a steve garvey senator that uh, that people respected uh they admired uh they believed that i gave 100 percent every day uh and that i i believed in this country and maybe that's the bottom line um, in making this decision. I love my country so much, and you know I love my state so much, that at this time in my life, and I've had a wonderful life, to step up in uh, the daunting task of running for a U.S. Senate in California, but believing that I can make a difference will be uh, what will take us to Washington. You think you can even win over Giants fans? <laughs> well, you know... You played against them your whole career. The deal, what closed the deal was two giant fans came up to me in, in, uh, on this wonderful shopping street near we live, and they had giant hats on. They said, Gar, we hate the Dodgers, but we'll vote for you. And I said, well, that's <laughs> Dodgers too. And the Padres, too. I mean, you, you played them with San Diego, too. Oh, sure. Yeah, with San Diego. Well, you know, I mean, eventually in the next, uh, probably by the end of February till March 5th, uh, a concentrated amount of time will be in L.A. County, Orange County and San Diego County with the density of the people. And, you know, I, I used to work in the shadows of uh, City Hall in L.A. and in the shadows of City Hall in San Diego and spent a tremendous amount of time in, uh, in the Orange County area. And I think that's why my opponents are very, very concerned because of, uh, of, the, uh, of the, you know, the fan base, but the, the base of Californians that know me and believe that I can make a difference. Steve Garvey. Former star ball player for the Dodgers and the Padres, now a Republican running for Senate in California. Thank you for joining us, and, and we hope you return if you win in March. We surely will. And remember, SteveGarvey.com. Thanks. Meet the American who created time zones. In 1869, Charles Ferdinand Dowd aimed to bring sanity to train schedules after the Transcontinental Railroad was completed, making domestic travel much easier. He was born April 25, 1825, in what is now Madison, Connecticut. He attended Yale and spent his life in education. In 1868, Dowd and his wife, Harriet, founded Temple Grove Seminary in Saratoga Springs, New York, where they ran the school for more than three decades. Before the advent of time zones, local communities measured time by the apex of the sun. 
high noon. Noon is different in every single community on the planet, even though separated by a few miles. Only seven seconds separate noon at the Capitol Dome and the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. The rail industry created railroad time to address the issue as trains traveled east and west. In 1870, Dowd issued a pamphlet titled A System of National Time for Railroads, prompting a new way to schedule rail travel. He planned to make four time zones centered on the 75th, 90th, 105th, and 120th meridians in the continental U.S. Across the country, people failed to accept the new standard time. People such as the mayor of Bangor, Maine, who threatened jail time for anyone ringing church bells using the new standard time hours. Dow died at 79 years old on November 12, 1904, at exactly 5.30 p.m. after being struck by a train in Saratoga Springs. On March 19, 1918, the United States passed the Standard Time Act, bringing uniform time to a nation divided by the sun. You can go to the lifestyle section at foxnews.com to find more of these incredible stories. For the Fox News Rundown, I'm Gianna Gelosi. Hey, it's Will Kane, co-host of Fox & Friends Weekend. Join me as I share my thoughts on a wide range of topics, from sports and pop culture to politics and business. The Will Kane Podcast. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Joe Concha. What's on your mind? Imagine having any job that allows an employee to get 135 days per year of paid time off to spend in, quote, relaxing locations, unquote. Yep, that is the stat on Joe Biden. He spent 37 percent of 2023 in places deemed relaxing locations. Some call it vacation. Either way, imagine that the same job isn't being, you know, assistant to the traveling secretary or working at the peach pit, but instead considered to be the most important job in the country, like being, you know, president of the United States and you get 135 days off. Wow, what a country. And here's the insulting part. The average American takes 14 days of vacation per year. Mr. Biden took almost 10 times that amount off. And when Scranton Joe goes on vacation, he isn't exactly slumming it. It's at a $35 million compound that his hedge fund buddy David Rubenstein owns in Nantucket that's so big it has its own zip code. Or it's at the $20 million mansion of billionaire Tom Steyer in Lake Tahoe. Or it's at one of Biden's multi-million dollar homes in Delaware that he somehow owns on a senator's and vice president's salary when he bought it a couple of years ago. Go figure. Either way, what it shows is that Joe Biden is not working hard. He shows that he's completely out of touch with so many Americans, many of whom are working two, three jobs just to keep up with inflation and spiraling credit card and interest debt. Either way, Scranton Joe loves his vacations all while the country is burning to the ground. I'm Joe Concha. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com.